Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. You're listening to the QuickBook Reviews Podcast. Brighten your day with a book. Hello, my fellow bookworms. This is Philippa from QuickBook Reviews. How are you all? Are you all okay? Well, I have a taste revelation here. Now, I know in previous episodes, going back a while, I did go on and on about how I couldn't find the perfect cup of tea. Well, I have found it and it's nothing to do with the tea. Who would have thought? It's to do with a little bit of milk that I would put in because I then had to go to black tea because I didn't like the milk. This is fascinating for you, I know, but I'm just so excited about it. This, I started having this new oats milk, oatly, something like that. It is a taste sensation. I'm on my third cup of tea already. I mean, my goodness, who knows what's going to happen? Three cups of tea in the morning. Crazy times ahead, people. Anyway, there we go. That That's the oat thing. Oh, I've got to tell you as well. Uh, so we had the delights of uh, parents evening recently for daughter doing GCSEs. And uh, it's all online, obviously, at the moment. Um, and we'd done other subjects. That was absolutely fine. And then we were coming up to the English one and we were just talking about it. My daughter was a bit nervous about what the teacher was going to say. <laughs> so my daughter and I looked at each other and I said, shall we move to the bookshelf? She said yes. So the two of us lifted the desk and moved it round and the computer round so that the teacher would see the colour, the rainbow coloured bookshelves behind and in the hope that that would divert their attention or just make it a more positive experience. And I'm so glad they didn't come on early because if they had, they'd have seen us doing this sort of stage management of rearranging everything. And as soon as the teacher came on, she said, oh, I love your bookshelves. And it was a, a very positive, funny experience. So there we go. Anyway, there's lots to talk to you about today. We've got some brilliant, brilliant books, a great author interview. Um, and of course, we've got the lovely Facebook group. So let's just have a look at what they're reading at the moment. So if you want to join us, you'd be so welcome. Go to Facebook, type in the Quick Book Reviews podcast and you should see, see us there. You'd be very welcome. So Leslie's uh, still reading Exit by Belinda Bear. Mark's reading This Body's Not Big Enough for Both of Us by Edgar Cantero, which sounds... Sounds quite alarming. Lauren's reading Into the Planet by Jill Hyneth. Janine's reading The Brighton Mermaid by Dorothy Coombson. Victoria's reading Moonlight Over Mayfair by Anton de Beck. Laura's reading The Guest List by Lucy Foley. Um, the other Laura got a couple of Laura's reading Anna Karenina by Leo Tolstoy. 
Laurie's reading Bryant and May Orange and Lemons by Christopher Fowler. Debbie's reading The Janice Stone by Ellie Griffiths. Uh, Joe's reading The Marlowe Murder Club by Robert Thorogood. Sarah's reading Sanatorium by Sarah Pierce. Michelle's reading Grown Ups by Marion Keyes. And Rebecca's reading The Perfect Father by Charlotte Duckworth. Quite a selection there. Aren't we all clever? Having lots of different books that we're reading and hopefully enjoying. Anyway, let me tell you about the books we're looking at this week. So we have The Perfect Lie by Joe Spain, The Trawler Man by William Shaw, The Cancer Ladies Running Club by Josie Lloyd, The Assistant by Kiel Oladal, and The Cipher by the BBC Sounds Team. I have been told that that's available worldwide because I know we've got a lot of listeners around the world, but I have been assured that that's accessible. So hopefully so. Should we get started? I think we should. So The Perfect Lie is, well, I'd call it The Perfect Book. Let me just move my pencil here because I'm just so excited to pick this book up. That When I heard about the premise of this book, I was like, please, please, can I just read? Please, can I just read this book immediately? Um, so let's read the blurb. It's fairly short, but to the point. Danny is Erin's ideal man, a handsome police officer, kind and considerate, a beacon for the community. So why does he jump to his death when colleagues arrive at their home one morning? And why, one year later, is Erin being tried for her husband's murder? I mean, you know, it's just something like that. It's just like, what? How is this going to be resolved? What happened? Um, it's a standalone, so you don't need to have read uh, Joe's other books. Uh, and I've really enjoyed it. Now, it should be published this week if I've got my dates right. Um, and uh, yeah, I thought it was really good. It, it's a crime thriller for me. Um, if I'm going to put a label on it. How many pages is it? 380. Yeah, so it's a good chunk. But... Every time you think, oh, gosh, where, what's going on? I just have no clue. You're rewarded with something. It just keeps you going to the to the end and the and the big reveal. I thought it was a really good book. She can she can seriously write. I wish I had a tenth of her writing ability because it's really good. Um, last year, I read Dirty Little Secrets that I really enjoyed. Uh, I thought it was a great book um, and The Confession. And I've read some of, she's got a series as well, uh, Inspector Tom Reynolds' Mysteries series. Uh, and I've read a few of those as well. So, yes. Anyway, I think I've waffled on enough. Let's talk to Joe now. So, Joe Spain, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. It's a pleasure to be here, Philippa. Oh, well, it's great to talk to you. This book, as soon as I heard about it, I thought I have to, <laughs> I just have to read this book because the premise is, just incredible uh, you know you've got the the husband um jumping out of the window you've and then you've got in the next chapter the, the same wife being done for murder of her husband I mean it just it, it's amazing did that whole picture come to you as one or did you first of all see the the guy jumping off the balcony or how did that all come come about I think the first chapter came to me I had done a book a couple of years ago called The Confession, which opened kind of with a very shocking opening chapter mm. as somebody had walked into a couple's home and just beat the husband to death and left and gone and handed themselves into the guards. And it was it was visceral, you know, in the same way I had the idea for that book. I could see the opening chapter of this book where there's a lovely couple. We realized very quickly that he's a police officer and she's got a long weekend planned and she, 
suddenly there's a knock on the door and she just thinks, oh, here we go again. I'm married to a cop. He never gets time off. The weekend's mm-hmm. destroyed. And she opens the door and there is a backstory with her where she's received bad news from cops before and she knows what that face looks like. Mm-hmm. And she thinks, oh, no, I can, what, what's happened? And she turns around, obviously, to get support from her husband. And he walks to those French windows and jumps out. And that literally came to me, just like I described it there. Mm-hmm. Everything. But I was like, okay, somebody, you know, jumps to their death. Where's the, where's the story in this? That's yeah. not a novel. That's a short story with no explanation or rationale. It's kind of existential. And I suppose there has to be a mystery as to why he'd jumped to his death when his colleagues turned up at the door. And then I realized if the mystery was connected to her, there is that jump to that following chapter where she's in court charged with her, the murder of her husband. And I had that brilliant opening for a bit and I did not know what to do with it. Oh, wow. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I had no solution. I just knew I had an excellent premise and excellent two chapters and something would present itself in time. And I was I was going on runs and I was just kind of lying awake at night and I kept kind of barraging my husband with what if this and what if that and what if this because he's a really good sounding board you know he's, he's great with plots and eventually it just landed on me that kind of magical connection mm. as to why she would be charged with her husband's murder and what had happened in the intervening months for that conclusion to come about I mean I hope it works <laughs> oh my goodness it absolutely absolutely does but how do you plot something out then when you've got the idea of how it starts and, and how it's going to end. Do you do extensive plotting or are you more just, no, I've got it, let's write it? No, both. I mean, I would extensively plot in my head first. I let an idea, and the more writers I speak to over the years, um, and particularly in TV as well, in TV, they'll often just come up with a character. They'll have the one, the show I'm working on now, the guy just came up with a great character. He didn't know, you know, what she was going to be, what kind of show it was going to be he just knew that she was this kind of kick-ass woman and she was really witty and funny and and she planted herself in his head and I think with writers as well sometimes we just have these visions of kind of a plot but you have to then wait and see if the rest of it comes to you and I'm talking to you about this one because it worked I've lots in my head or scribbled down that never actually I mean I hope they're, they're kind of the suitcase of ideas that I might have to revisit at some time but that one came to me I let it stew and then what I did, what I, which I do with all my books, is I sat down and I plotted out that book from start to finish, almost like with a chapter headline. So mm-hmm. it's like eight or ten pages. I just worked out the start, middle and end because ever since my first book, which I wrote kind of off the hoof, as they say, that was 176,000 words because I got to the middle of that book and I did not know how to finish it. Mm-hmm. And I chopped 50,000 words for it in the end. And at some point towards the end of that opus, I realized I need to think how this finishes, you know, and I was jotting down already kind of ideas. And I've never done that since because it's it's overwriting. You know, I know people, some people can do it brilliantly. Some people just, the pen is in their hand and it's like magic is going through it and they're able to write whatever. Not for me. I have to plot it all the way through just to know, you know, what the, it's like, I wouldn't just build a house by throwing the blocks down on the ground. <laughs> I, would, I would draw the map Good of the house point. before I built it. Yeah, so that's how my brain works it's very sounds very cynical and strategic but it's the only way I can do it no absolutely and I'm interested because looking back at the books that you've written yes there's the series and individual standalone books as well but this is a very clever book well all your books are but could this book have been your first 
one that you'd written or does this book come as a result of the other books not that they're related but does it sort of stand on the shoulders of the books you've written before it does this is book 10 mm. i mean maybe it could have come a couple of books ago but it certainly couldn't have come in the early years i i mean they're diff they're different beasts the series and the standalones I don't think I'd have been able to write standalones as well if I hadn't written the series, because the thing about a police procedural series is that you are having to think very cleverly. Now, there's so many of them out there and I read them voraciously. I'm, I'm reading crime fiction since I was a kid and I like a book that kind of surprises me with the plot or at least it has me so actively engaged in the characters and the story that I don't I don't mind that I know where the plot is going. I, I, sometimes I think people don't realise how hard crime fiction authors actually work to, to get that magic on the page. But with this standalone, it was a combination of everything I'd done before and also the years of screenwriting at this point, where I'm definitely seeing a story much better than I would have before. I don't need to kind of write it all down before I myself can see it. I can see it in my head. I can see the locations. I can see the characters. I can see the scenes, for want of a yeah. better word. You know, everything is something. And it helps because I think when people read it then, I've, I've had people say back to me I can see this yeah so I can understand that I, and I'm interested in the screenwriting side because in my very limited experience I would imagine yes you can give directions the sun is rising it's on a beach whatever but the words are, are everything the words that the characters speak and in that it, it has to cover everything the description of the place the the, the mood so do, do you have to make the words work even more in, in the books that you write as well? Yeah, screenwriting is not as beautiful as novel writing. I mean, yeah. you do, you, you, you put in an action line, you put in the, the setting, the general heading, and you do put a lot of effort into dialogue. But even with that, when you get a really good actor or actress, they will often add a line that you have so carefully, and the spoken word is very different to the written word. And it's something I've really noticed now that audibles are becoming such a big thing for books. Mm. I have definitely probably absorbed a little bit how difficult some audibles are to listen to because the writer did not write anything on the page with it being spoken aloud. And it's something I've been aware of for years because sometimes you go to a panel and they want you to read the first chapter and you're reading it and you're editing it in your, even as you're saying it, because it, it doesn't yeah. sound as good spoken aloud. Um, but I mean, with The Perfect Lie, I was able to do justice to Long Island. I was able to do justice to the fact that she is, well, we don't know if she's an unreliable narrator. We're on her journey with her. We don't know what she's not telling us in the present scenes, because in the past scenes, we're doing it with her in real time. So, so what is she hiding? And there's an awful lot of internal talk and horror that can mislead at times. And when you're writing for screen, that's a direction to how an actor should look. You know, maybe they're averting their eyes or maybe they're shutting their body language down. But with a book, you can pay homage to that kind of Hitchcockian way of dealing with a situation. And then you can just really capture. Like I invented the town in Long Island for this book, but it is loosely based on towns that exist there. But I could make it a town that I in my mind's eye would like to have a holiday in. Yeah. So anybody reading it is, you know, yes, yeah. I'd love to go to Long Island now. Yes, absolutely. And I really enjoyed the time hops um, in the book. Did that make it harder or easier to write as you were going through it? It makes it easier to an extent. It certainly should look easy at the end. Mm. 
it's hard to write because you're constantly having to make sure you're not giving anything away in either time period. I mean, you should be giving something away. The, the last yeah. chapter shouldn't come as an abject <laughs> shock. <laughs> this, yes. this could have been stuck in from another book. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you're, you're treading these clues, but because you're jumping in between times and particularly because of the twists in this book, I mean, you will know because you've read it like I had to read and reread my past chapters to make sure I hadn't inadvertently just given something away that let you know all right okay that's why she's in court um so it it, it added to the journey let's let's call it that <laughs> it added to the journey yeah but but it did a lot I mean if I'd only written it in one time frame that would have made that story very difficult to tell because it, well you, you know yourself the twist relies on the fact 18 months have passed yes and I just thought it was so interesting because you you rely on the loyalty of the reader to keep going. I mean, you give enough, just enough to keep us. And, and because we know you and trust you, we know that payoff is, is going to happen, that the, the ending is just going to be fantastic. Um, but do you get a bit, of a, a bit of a kick out of, you know, just dropping these little breadcrumbs and waiting for the, the prize? I do. I, do. I, I always write books that I would like to read. And I, I like that myself, like when I'm, I'm reading something and even if it doesn't occur to me in the moment or I, some clue jars at me later on, I go, oh, that was so clever. You know, I'm not as clever like with the books I write as the books I read. I, I'm still in training as such. But I think um, it is one of those things where that trust issue you mentioned is really important when you're writing a book this long, this complex with these many characters and, and this much of a twist it's not a quick hit. It's not a solution that comes straight away. Yeah. There's a very complex, implausible premise presented to the reader. And I need the reader to trust that by the time they get to the end, and like, I, I know you're not supposed to read reviews and, and I, I'm sure that most authors do. Um, most of the reviews for this book seem to be really good, but I spot the odd review where people say, you know, I didn't know what was happening a quarter way through the book. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I think yeah. if you'd known what was happening a quarter way through, I probably wouldn't have done a very good job. Yeah. Because <laughs> what would you have done for the next three quarters, you know? Yes. So you do, you're relying on the loyalty of the reader to, to, to know that you are doing your job well and they'll be happy at the end. And pace has a lot to do with it. Again, I think you manage that very well. You just sort of keep the tension going without, without turning it up too much. Is that something that you have to go back and check sort of a pace check or again is that just part of how you write no I, I have to work on that like I alternate sometimes I write books and it's a pace of a rocket like when I wrote the confession I, I think my editor contacted me and said I, I'm now halfway through Joe and I haven't breathed and she didn't mean that in a good way <laughs> if you need to have a rise and fall it's almost like you know if you walk in to watch one of these action movies and in, in cinema my children watch them all the time I'm exhausted by the 10th minute because everything has been blown up yeah. the train is derailed half the characters are dead and there's still two hours left in the film you know and there's just no it's it's unrelenting and I have brought that to books where I because I know where I'm going I you know I'm belting it out and then on this book it was completely the opposite because when we do meet Aaron at the start Danny has jumped to his death and because she loves him you know, there's no issues in this marriage, no, no obvious issues in this marriage. And she's so confused and hurt. She's she's dealing with grief and she's had past grief in her life. And I probably went very slow at the start of this book where 
there was too much grieving it was it was almost uh, literary for not, yeah. not that that's a bad thing you know but it was it was gone down that path um, and it's a crime fiction book and people do come to these books with an expectation and I'm not trying to write literary crime I'm trying to write commercial crime that I would read myself so I needed to just speed it up without losing the the empathy or the humanity of the character I just had to speed up the pace of that just a little bit it's interesting to hear how hard it is for you because you know I just have this vision you you do so much in your life, you know, political advisor, best-selling author, you've written TV dramas, a family. I always thought that you'd just be able to sit down and just the book comes, but it's hard to, is writing still an escape for you or or is that actually your main job? What Where does that sit? It, I mean, I yeah, I do write full-time um, for a career, mainly screenwriting because screenwriting is a it's a very well-paying career <laughs> like it's yes. I don't know if I'd be able to just write full-time on novels you know because I'm I'm their sole earner in our household so mm-hmm. like I'm, I'm the one we rely on um but I think the first drafts for me and the ideas for me are always somewhere where it's fun you know I really love those parts because you're creating something just magical and it's still yours you own it when you move into edits and this is more true of screenwriting on books because with books Yes, you know, you always own it and you're putting edits in and it kind of you can smooth through books and sometimes you have to work a bit harder. Screenwriting is, is many, many degrees of pain. Five million edits from everybody on the collaborative team. And yeah. it's, it's a job. That's much more of a job than books. So for me, in my mind, books are still the escapist writing and screenwriting is the, the paid job writing. So I'm... I'm interested in, in all of this then. When you get an idea for a story, are you split between, oh gosh, do I write this as a book or oh, do I do this as a screenplay? Very clever question. <laughs> <laughs> it's the one, the real positive of screenwriting that has given me real flexibility in terms of how I write because most authors will tell you um, you can become pigeonholed very quickly as an yeah. author. Like I've been lucky that I can do both series and standalone. Um, and nobody has challenged me on that. I'm allowed to do it because it all fits within the crime genre. But even then, uh, my standalones are kind of, they, they fit within, I mean, they're not thrillers. They're not I Am Pilgrim. They're not kind of international, no. you know, action crime. It's a kind of mysterious family drama, drama domestic, psychological, whatever word. With TV, I can write anything, just anything. So I'm working at the moment. There's a dystopian Iceland show. There's a kind of Fargo West thriller in Finland. Um, this is kind of a cozy mystery one in Britain at the moment. There, there's one I'm doing that's it's actually not crime at all. It's it's a music based book, two music based books I'm doing in the 80s. I'm, I'm adapting a lot of books at the moment actually, and one is a thriller as well in Britain. It means I can jump around, and when I have ideas for things, I do just filter is my publisher going to like this or can I do this more justice on the screen? Yeah. So it's nice. I can, I can move between the worlds, which is probably a lot more liberating, I think, than some authors have it. And I imagine you can bring a lot more to either element because of your screenwriting experience. You can bring a lot more to writing the, the book and equally the same with, with the screenwriting. But 10 books, is there anything that still surprises you about the publishing world? All the time, all the time. <laughs> oh no, <laughs> for good or for bad. <laughs> uh, all of the above. I mean, you can't, like, it's, 
it never ceases to amaze me um, how books can come from nowhere and become huge successes. Mm. And then how some books can get a, a massive kind of promotion and budget and all the rest of it and not be a success. Like I, I, I think I'm as amazed as probably people within the publishing industry are in terms of what books make it and what don't. And I think the lesson I've taken from it, the good lesson is that you never write the book you think the market wants to read. You just write the book that you want to write because yeah. invariably by the time you've got that book written and packaged it and all the rest of it. And, and I'm lucky I've never actually done this. I mean, I think when I started writing crime series, it's because I know that people like to read police procedurals. So I was writing a book that I taught myself. But with the standalones, I've, I've kind of marched to the beat of my own drum and I've been lucky with them. They've all done really well, even when, you know, sometimes I've pitched an idea and they said, well, there's a couple of those like that out there. And I'm like, but I'm going to do it this way. And it, it reads as different. And, and the clever strategic thing to do would be say, oh, you mean somebody, well, I think Dirty Little Secrets, I've written it. And that drama Safe came out on Netflix. And um, now they are different, but the Harlan Coben book it had been adapted yeah. from. Yeah. And it's it's in an exclusive gated community. And I was pitching an idea for a book set in an exclusive gated community. And even though they're entirely different, you can understand completely. why yeah, you hear three, the three words and things. Yeah. Um, and I was like, no, no, this is the book that I have to write. It's a yeah. good book. Just trust me. And last year it was one of the it was number one on Audible for half the year. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, it pays just to go with your gut, I think. And that's the one thing that I've, I've learned about the publishing industry. You never can tell what's going to happen. But I think you, you're fortunate in some ways that you've got to the point that you have now and your name is so well known that not putting any pressure on you but you do you do deliver diamonds you know you're a, a, an author people can trust and so oh that is very nice to hear because in my mind they're always cold <laughs> <laughs> no 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 even my mother likes your book so that's you know that, that's saying something so last question and most important question of all when the writing stops when you just can't think what to do next what what do you reach for is it is it a candle chocolate coffee a walk what's your go-to to get the thoughts flowing again I'm I'm exceptionally good at shutting my brain down completely like I part of it is having kids where it's actually not a choice to shut your brain down you're just so busy with the four different barrage demands coming at you that you know you're I'm caught up in that but I like to run and I like to cook and I like to read other people's books and I love watching tv like if I find a really good series I can just completely go into that and I find I've been very lucky so far if I shut off for a weekend on a Monday morning I'll have an idea you know, like it's, it's, I haven't, I've yet to be at the point where I just can't think what to write next. And I also always have that suitcase of ideas that I couldn't make work <laughs> if I need to go backwards and, and just kind of beg the muses for some inspiration. Um, but no, as it happens, I, I, I'm, I can really switch off very easily and then they come to me. Brilliant. Well, can't wait for the next idea to come for you because The Perfect Lie is a super book. Joe Spain, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Philip. It was lovely talking to you. Well, that was really interesting, wasn't it? I just think Joe Spain's a fascinating person. So many different elements to her working life and uh, 
how she manages to keep all those plates spinning, I don't know. But there we go. So from one brilliant book to another brilliant book. So this is called The Trawler Man by William Shaw. Um, it's part of a series, DS, uh, Alexandra Capidi. Um, but if you haven't read any of the others, don't worry. Just reward yourself with this gem of a book because it's a really, really good one. Um, so the, the blurb is, is this, a double murder. The naked corpses of Alma and Mary Eunice are discovered in their home. The only clues are a note written in blood and an eerie report of two spectral figures departing the crime scene. Officer Jill Ferreter is charged with investigating the murders while her colleague Alex Cupidi is on leave, recovering from post-traumatic stress. Despite being in counselling and receiving official warnings to stay away from police work, Cupidi finds herself dragged into the case and begins to trawl among the secrets and lies that are held in the fishing community of Folkestone. Desperate to exonerate South, that, I should say, sorry, that's her colleague William South, um, she finds herself murderously compromised when personal relationships cloud her judgment. Um, as with any series, if you can go back and read them all or if you have read them all, then uh, you will enjoy this. So I'm putting my book down there even more. Um, but this was just a great book on its own. It rewarded the reader so much, I thought. I loved the element of... Uh, these trawler men and the secrets and this very eerie side to going out fishing at night time. And um, I'd heard William Shaw, well, where he was on this podcast talking about how he was researching that and how he'd actually gone out on the boat. And you could really tell that from how clear the descriptions were. Um, but then you've got this very sort of honest issue going on with uh, the main char character Alice Capidi um, and all that she's gone through and her counselling and then this crime and uh, uh, it's it was it was a great book literally 60 seconds after I had put the book down I had to send William a message to say this is extraordinary this is a 10 out of 10 book it's really really good and I can't wait to hear what's next because this writing is just at such a high level um and i love that the the line deep waters hide dark secrets i thought that was very good so great book the trawler man william shaw go and acquire it immediately um yeah very very good book so there we go that's that's that one let me put that on the pile we're getting through them we've got three more to go not many now gosh so the next one is the cancer ladies running club by josie lloyd um the blurb if i can find it because i should have prepared this better shouldn't i it's often the case though with proof copies you don't get the blurb actually on the back of the book here we go when Kira receives her breast cancer diagnosis, she doesn't want to have to tell her children or her husband, Tom, and she doesn't want to step back from work. She doesn't want to sit in a hospital and stare mortality in the face, nor be part of a group of fellow cancer patients. Cancer is not her club. But she is forced to accept everything must change and her health becomes something she can't rely on. Kira finds herself embracing running, hot, sweaty running in the company of a group of brilliant, funny women, each going through treatment. One step at a time, Kira is going to reclaim something. Her family, her business, her life. And I think this sums it up. Moving and uplifting. This is a novel about love, family and the power of finding your tribe. Now, I'll be honest, I had seen this book listed quite a few times and I'd never thought, oh, I want to read that book because 
I thought it's going to be it's going to be a gut wrenching book. It's going to be hard. It's going to be emotional. It, it's going to it's going to be awful. Not the book, not the writing, but the subject matter. And well, obviously, it deals with it, and clearly, it's you know incredibly serious. Um, the the writer is very skilled. Josie Lloyd really delivers it in a way where I found instead of thinking, oh, I don't want to read this, I wanted to read more. I liked hearing about the characters. Um, I learned a lot about cancer and the treatment and the different treatments um, and about how much of a fighter you have to be and how it can affect others around you in different ways. I thought that was fascinating. Um, it just humanises it and even if you take this the issue of the cancer out, you have an uplifting, well, there's sort of a journey in the story of the main character and what happens to her and what life throws at her. And the, the cancer is another element to that. Um, it doesn't change who she is, but it does affect how how she is. Uh, and I thought it, it was a good book and it I did feel uplifted by it, which I just didn't think I was going to. I thought I was going to have to go and drown my sorrows in a massive bar of chocolate. And and I didn't need to. So it's um it's a gentle book considering the content. Um it's not some high end literature, but equally it's not like a lot of the crime and thriller books. So it's um light relief, but with some really meaty subjects. Um but uh, yeah, I'm I'm really pleased I, I read it. I thought it was I thought it was good. So that's the Cancer Ladies Running Club by Josie Lloyd. Right, now the next one we come on to, let me read you this is The Assistant by Kiel Oladal. Um and the premise is this. Oslo, 1938. War is in the air and Europe is in turmoil. Hitler's Germany has occupied Austria and is threatening Czechoslovakia. There's a civil war in Spain and Mussolini reigns in Italy. When a woman turns up at the office of police-turned-private investigator Ludwig Pask, he and his assistant, his one-time nemesis and former drug smuggler Jack Rivers, begin a seemingly straightforward investigation into marital infidelity. But all is not what it seems. And when Jack is accused of murder, the trail leads back to the 1920s, to Prohibition-era Norway, to the smugglers, sex workers and hoodlums of his criminal past and an extraordinary secret. Um, so, again, I'd say this is another sort of Nordic noir book. It's translated fiction. And, uh, gosh, there's such a growing demand for this type of story. I thought it was very well written, very evocative. Um, I really felt, uh, again, that I learned a lot from it. You know, you, you get so caught up in the here and now. Um, and we learn certain elements about, you know, pre-war and um, the situation then. But this just, it's like it just picked you up and transported you there. And you got the sights, the sounds, the smells and, and all the risks of living at that time. Um, so, yes, very, very interesting indeed. So now we need to come on to the last one, which is The Cipher. 
Now, as I said earlier, this is available on BBC Sound. So it's like an audio book, but first of all, it's free. And secondly, it's in 10 installments. So it's, I don't know, like listening to a radio play, a radio drama, but you can get it on the BBC Sounds app. And as I say, I've been assured that that's available um, around the world. So do let me know if you're not able to get it and I will do some digging, some investigating. Um, but the, the simple premise is, is this. When 16-year-old Sabrina cracks the cryptic parallax, she's recruited to track down a serial killer who might not be from this world. Um, and it's just, it's an interesting one. At times I was thinking, oh, I'm losing track here of what's going on. And at other times I thought, gosh, now I'm really enjoying this. Um, I think it's certainly like YA drama, I, I'd have thought. It makes you think about where we're heading to as a world. Um, and it's got some sci-fi elements. I won't, don't want to give too much away. But it's intriguing. And I think you could listen to the first episode and get a clear idea of whether it's something for you or not but I like the fact that we're seeing more of these sort of audio dramas forget the fact it's in it's in chunks uh, 10 episodes but an audio drama and um, I think as Joe Spain was really saying that there's a lot that can can come through from a book when it's performed in an audio way. And that's why we're seeing more audio dramas. Um, Audible themselves are doing a lot more audio dramas as well. So they're not just, it's not just someone sitting in a room reading a book. Uh, you can add a lot into it. And it goes back to, I mean, crikey, you don't want me talking about The Archers, do you? But uh, you you know enough how much I love The Archers, which is a, a BBC radio soap, a drama. Um, and uh, it, I think it's the world's longest running drama. It's just it's just a, a happy escape for me. 15 minutes, four times a week. Fab. Um, but it's that sort of uh, experience where the actors help to bring a story to life and really make it so much more than it would be on paper. Um, but there we go. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I wouldn't say it was the greatest thing I've ever listened to, but I enjoyed it and um, I kept walking while I was listening to it. So anything that helps me to burn those calories off has got to be a good thing, I think. So I think we've covered an awful lot today, haven't we? I mean, I've waffled on about oat music and parents' evenings. We've talked about the Facebook group. We've had a brilliant conversation with Jo Spain about her new book, The Perfect Lie, which is absolutely wonderful. Um, I've talked to you about The Trawler Man by William Shaw. That's a very, very, very good book. How many times can I say the word very? Quite a few. Uh, and the very good Cancer Ladies Running Club by Josie Lloyd. We've got The Great Assistant by Kiel Oladal and The Cypher by BBC Sounds. And that's it. I need to go and drink coffee now. And I hope you're well. Uh, look after yourselves and I'll see you very soon. Take care now. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the QuickBook Reviews podcast. That's enough books, said no one, ever. See you again soon. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 